Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stories from the World. This is David Robert Farmerie. This week's episode is a bit of a departure from the usual stories. I had another topic planned for this week, but as I was nearly asleep, I was beckoned by the deep internal voice to reconsider. In part, I think that this change has to do with the fact that the subjects of this story have been on my mind quite a bit over the past several days as I was reworking image files from my work at Standing Rock. But even more so, it was the need to print additional copies of the portraits that I made of Helen several months ago. Helen's sister, Alice, had asked me if I would provide her with smaller copies, 8x10s essentially, so that she could give them to family members as Christmas gifts, and I gave my word that I would make this happen. The other influence that has kept this on my mind is the fact that as you listen to this episode, I will be heading back to the Navajo Reservation. This trip, however, and unfortunately, I will not be able to see Helen or even Alice other than to meet Alice briefly in a parking lot and pass her the box of prints. The risk of infection, especially for them, is too high to take any chances. And even though this episode, I will tell you in advance, may be a bit bittersweet, I truly believe that the underlying story and the message is still one of hope and of great perseverance. This is also a story that has become endeared to my heart. Almost to the day, actually, about a year ago, I began work on a new book, the one about the Navajo people that you may have heard me talk about before. And even though you will hear me refer to them throughout this podcast and through other podcast episodes, I'm sure, as the Navajo, however, I believe that it's important to make this distinction right now is that the Navajo people prefer to be called or referred to as Diné, which translates to the people. And what most people don't realize, in fact, I was among that group of the unknowing until I began spending time with this culture, and that is that the name Navajo was designated upon them by the Spanish, and essentially it translates to the word thief. That's not a very befitting name to give any people, especially, at least in my opinion, to a people whose heart is large and most times open to all. Throughout my time on the reservation over this past year, I can honestly say that there has been no one that has turned me away, no one that has shunned me because I'm an outsider or because I'm white. Unfortunately, Shortly after I began work on this project, COVID, as we all know, thrust its way into our lives the world over. And as the rate of those infected continued to climb everywhere on the Navajo Reservation, it became among the highest per capita in the United States. In part, early on, this was because people, like they did everywhere, didn't take the virus seriously. But then, as they did, the bigger problem was that many times on the reservation, because of the poverty, you have 10 or 15 people that are living within one small house. So if one person gets infected, it really kind of just spreads through the entire house. Also, the majority of these people do not have running water, so they can't be washing their hands every time they touch something. But in large part, 
because of President Nez, who is the president of the Navajo Nation, he shut down the res. No one in and no one out. It was a $1,000 fine that would be levied against anyone violating this decree, and they did enforce it. Over time, because of this, their numbers of infected cases dropped significantly. In fact, so much so that they became an example to the rest of the United States of how to handle this crisis. But as we look back on history and we look at the great influenza of 1918, we see that this COVID virus has been to date following the exact same pattern, the exact same rise and fall curves as the 1918 great influenza did. As temperatures began to drop and cold weather became the norm, states like Arizona, New Mexico, Idaho, and even South Dakota saw sudden rises in infection rates. And as of two days ago, it was reported that more than 35% of the Navajo population living on the res was now infected. A vaccine was due to be delivered on the 1st of December, but as of this recording, it still has not arrived. And because of all of this, my work has definitely been slowed. But, you know, there were moments throughout this past year when I was able to proceed forward and one of the people that became my subject repeatedly was Helen Gray Eyes. One of the portraits that I made of Helen is the title photograph for this episode, but I have also created a very short gallery with a few images of Helen that I made throughout the year that you can find with the link in the episode notes. The first time that I met Helen was late last winter, and the road to her house was an adventure in and of itself. You see, Helen lives in the community of Blue Gap, Arizona, and her house is seven miles after the paved road ends. The first time that I drove it, my expedition truly just bounced and banged and swerved widely and wildly, at times even violently. I had to keep my speed up so that I didn't get sucked down and thereby stuck in the mud. But with that speed, really, there were times that it was difficult to hold on to the steering wheel. But the upside is it was one hell of an adventure. And a great big smile beamed across my face the entire time. The road, as you may have already discerned, was heavily and deeply rutted, and the day that I first traveled it, it was a combination of frozen and thawed mud. When someone acting on my behalf first asked Helen's sister, Alice, if I could make a photograph of Helen, there were long pauses. Then, finally, Alice said, have him come out to talk and we'll see. And so I did. And this, I might remind you, is one of those great examples of the open heart that the Navajo people have. Arriving at Helen's house, we were invited inside, and as I walked through the door, Helen was sitting at the small dining room table, and she was dressed in traditional Navajo clothing, including a brightly colored scarf, or what I knew as a child as a babushka. The features on Helen's face were absolutely striking, but even more so, there was this internal beauty 
that radiated from her, a gentleness and a simplicity that I can only refer to or describe as regal, yet completely unassuming. Helen is a traditional Navajo woman. Helen only speaks Navajo, and she understands no English whatsoever. Her sister Alice graciously translated for me, and we talked for nearly two hours that day. At the beginning of the conversation, I had explained why I wanted to make photographs of Helen, and also what my intentions were. I laid out my entire agenda for both of them. After the roughly two-hour conversation, Alice and Helen invited us to stay for dinner. Bean soup and Navajo fry bread. Now, if you have never had Navajo fry bread or Indian fry bread, they're really one and the same, but the Navajo like to kind of make it their own. Anyhow, if you've never had fry bread, you have truly missed out on a great delicacy. And yes, as its name defines, it is a bread that is fried and not baked. Now, will this bread potentially clog one's arteries? Absolutely. Is it worth the risk? Even more of an absolutely. For me, this bread is like a legalized crack. I mean, really, after my first bite, I cannot stop. My willpower disappears as if abruptly snatched from my very being. However, more importantly than me feeding my addiction to this food is the fact that we were invited to stay for a meal. This, among native cultures, is the same as passing the pipe in the ceremony. It is their way of letting you know that they have accepted you. Now, since that great day, I have had the honor of making several visits each time Regardless of the time of day or what work I would be there to do, I have been invited to join them for another meal. In other words, the meal is already prepared for my arrival, and the people there have waited for me to arrive and join them. In fact, during my last visit there, when I took the Prince of the Portrait over to give to Helen and Alice, after looking at them and us talking for a bit, Alice looked at me and said, You know, you're an in-law now. I truly cannot think of anything more humbling and more gratifying than that statement. As Alice made that fry bread on the first visit, I asked her if I could watch. Sure, Alice said. And so for you know, the next 15 minutes or so, I stood in the tiny kitchen and I watched as Alice would pull these clumps of sticky dough from the main ball that resided in a bowl that rested on a very crowded table. Wow, that was kind of a lot of resting and pulling, wasn't it? It's kind of a mouthful. Anyhow, back to the bread. Each time that Alice would pull a small clump of this sticky dough into her hand, she would roll it a little bit, and then she would smack it between two hands, repeatedly until it was kind of sufficiently flattened, then, you know, she would drop it into this pan of very, very hot oil to fry. And once it hit the oil, it did not take long at all to cook. A couple of minutes on one side, then she would flip it over, a couple of minutes on the other side, and she would pull it out and throw it in a basket with paper towels to drain just a little bit. 
Then she would repeat the process over and over again until enough Navajo fry bread was ready. Now, as just a little bit of a side note to kind of just give you an idea, more of an idea of what this is like, is when the fry bread is done, it looks like a piece of pita bread, but oh, that's where the similarities end. It is just kind of lightly crusty on the outside, and it's soft and chewy on the inside, especially when it's served warm. I mean, I'm telling you, truly, my knees weaken just talking about this. After this meal had ended and I was entering the stage of a food coma, I asked if I could return in the near future to make additional photographs of Helen, and they happily agreed. One of the things that I told them right before I left that I would like to do is to make a formal portrait of Helen. I knew that this was something that they didn't have, and also that it would be something that they and other family members could cherish for years to come. They had also invited me to return a few months after to photograph the shearing of the sheep as well as the slaughter of the sheep, both of these being very ceremonial. Sadly, however, before that could happen, COVID hit. I had planned instead to return at the beginning of June so that I could at least make the portrait of Helen that I had promised them. But then the motorcycle accident happened. On Memorial Day, while driving with a few friends on the back roads of Kentucky and Tennessee, about 130 miles into the ride, I went down. The top of my shoulder hit the ground at 60 miles an hour and stopped. I broke my clavicle into three pieces and six ribs into nine pieces. I didn't know how long it would be until I could get out to fulfill my promise, and this truly weighed heavily on me. Then, as I suppose it was divine intervention would have it, about 10 days later, I had to drive to northern Arizona because that is where my primary doctor was. And until I saw him, I couldn't schedule an appointment with a surgeon to have my shoulder repaired, nor could I get pain medication. Fortunately, my wife flew home, and after a few days of her arriving, the two of us drove back to northern Arizona, taking our time, but getting there also as quickly as I possibly could. And being the consummate photographer, I loaded all of my equipment into the back of the expedition, just in case. And thankfully, I did. Because while I was there in northern Arizona, I had the opportunity to make the portrait of Helen. Driving to Helen's this time, the road was much better, and thankfully so, because the bones in my shoulder were still moving around. When I arrived, lunch and the family were waiting for me to join them. After the meal, I unloaded the equipment from the expedition, moved it into Helen's house, set it up, and made her portraits. I was also afforded the opportunity to photograph Helen weaving a traditional Navajo woolen blanket. But I want to back up for just a second. You know, when I arrived at the house, and it was just before we sat down to eat, Helen emerged from this other room, and quite literally, I was awestruck by what I saw. Standing there was Helen, dressed in her fancy clothes, and adorned with this abundance of some of the most beautiful Navajo turquoise jewelry that I had ever seen. 
it was explained to me by Alice that turquoise jewelry is a sign of status among the Navajo women. The more turquoise jewelry that one has, the higher one's status is. Helen was as elegant and as beautiful as any woman I have ever seen. And as it had always been before, the elegance and this deep inner beauty that Helen possesses was as genuine as anything could be. I made two portraits of Helen that day. The first was one that I felt showed the very traditional side of being a Navajo woman, which, again, for me, reflected the steadfastness and the determinate spirit that they possess. But there is also this other side to Helen. It's one that one will only see if they spend the time and allow it to present itself. It is one that I had seen many times over during my visits, but it was one that I did not know how to invoke in her naturally. It is that side of Helen when she laughs, because when she laughs, she laughs so genuinely. I mean, I can't even describe it in words. It's just something that you have to see. And again, it is nothing that I could invoke that would be genuine. Remember, neither of us understood the other's language. So I just decided to let it go. Then divine intervention seemed to find a way to weave itself in once again. Since I felt that I was finished making the portraits of Helen, I offered to make a portrait of Helen with her sister Alice and her daughter Rena. Both of them reluctantly agreed. And here is where the divine intervention played its magic. Just after they agreed to be in this portrait, Alice said that she wasn't dressed properly for a portrait. Then, she said, as her eyes opened just a little wider, I have an idea. With that, her and Rena exited the house, declaring that they would be back shortly. It was about 15 minutes or so that had passed by the time Alice and Rena returned. And as soon as they walked into the room, I saw this look on Helen's face. Then Alice filled me in. The look on Helen's face was because... In their absence, Alice and Rena had raided her turquoise jewelry collection, which was far more extensive than I imagined. When I made a joke about it to Helen, which was translated by Alice, Helen began to laugh, and the second portrait presented itself. Since Helen was still sitting exactly where I had her, and the camera had not moved its position, I simply reached over as quick as I could and released a shutter, making that final portrait. Helen Gray Eyes is a strong woman. She is an independent woman who has been both hardened by her life as well as softened. You know, her sister told me that every morning, Helen's routine is that she wakes and gets out of bed, she gets dressed, feeds the dogs, and then, at 84 years old, she runs one mile down the road and one mile back. Then she herds her sheep out to pasture. Late in the day, she herds her sheep from pasture back to the house. In between, she does a variety of things. Where Helen lives in Blue Gap, Arizona, 
She is surrounded by this incredible beauty of rocky hillsides and buttes, and there is such a tranquility to it as well. But there is also an underlying devastation to what one sees on the surface. You see, these rocky hills are loaded with uranium. And for decades, the U.S. government has mined this uranium for its nuclear weapons arsenals as well as for nuclear fuel. And the result of this mining has been the high rates of cancer and birth defects for the residents of Blue Gap. In fact, not more than 50 yards or so from Helen's house is the sealed entrance to one of the mines. The issue here is that the mines were never sealed properly, so radiation leaked and continues to leak. Radiation also has contaminated the water supply. It's no different than coal mining that dumps iron oxide into the surrounding water table. It's just that here, uranium mines are dumping radioactive byproducts into the water supply. For decades, the Navajo, especially those of Blue Gap and other areas around Arizona and New Mexico, have pleaded with the U.S. government to come in and seal the mines successfully, but to date, that has not happened. Sadly, this really attests to the status that the Native people have within the realms of U.S. government, but also within the ranks of American society. As a whole, the Native people within the United States are still the most discriminated against and the most neglected. Poverty is higher among Native American people than it is among any other demographic of American society. Since the conquest of the Native tribes during the original settling of this land that we now call the United States, the Native people have been subjugated time and time again. Initially, it was through brutal force, or as in the case of Henry Bouquet, who in the 1700s thought it wise to infect the blankets with smallpox, then present them as gifts to the natives, thereby wiping out the populations. This subjugation has continued to evolve, however, but mostly into more covert means. As a great example, I think, this year, for many Navajo living on the res, it was a 40-plus mile trek to the nearest voting poll. And remember, a lot of them don't have a vehicle. They're living in abject poverty. A vehicle is the last thing that they're going to own or have access to. But this year, one Native woman took up the charge, and she organized her entire community to go on horseback to make this 40-plus mile trek on horseback so that they could exercise their right to vote. Instead of complaining about it or simply just giving up, this strength and this determination of the Navajo people made something happen. And what most people don't realize is that the Native people across the board are essentially wards of the U.S. government by definition, and this is not by their choosing. For many years, Native youth were forced into schools called Indian schools where they were beaten, literally beaten physically, if they spoke anything but English. And as soon as they arrived at these Indian schools where they lived, 
they were stripped of their traditional clothing and forced to wear the white man's clothes. And they are still reminded to this day of their inferiority to those who are not native. But then I look at Helen Gray Eyes. She has the dignity that shines as bright as anyone's. And even though through the decades and even the centuries of oppression, she and her family, as well as everyone I have met thus far on the reservation, have opened their hearts and their homes and even their traditions to me. They have opened them without any agendas attached. To me, they exemplify the phrase, turn the other cheek. Dignity, pure dignity, in my opinion at least, does not exist in any greater display. I will tell you without any reservation that my heart and my very being has been changed by Helen and by Alice. It has also been changed by every Navajo that I have had an encounter with. All have welcomed me openly. None have treated me with anything other than respect for another human being. And even though I will not be able to engage with anyone on this trip, I will still be on the Navajo land, and their land is truly sacred. One can feel it everywhere they are. There is a strength to the land and a dignity to the land as well. One of my life's greatest wishes, truly, is that everyone could meet Helen and Alice. I wish that I could package them up and expose them to the entire world. But for now, right now, I am simply grateful that they are touching my world and that I can share their story and the story of their people with you. Until next time, I thank you most sincerely for allowing me to share with you this story from the world. And yes, as always, this episode is copyrighted 2020, all rights reserved. See you next time.